Welcome to the Crooks and Creeps podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Crooks. And I'm Creeps. And today we've got a scarily good episode for you, planned episode three. Dang, we're really pushing them out, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) I'm super excited about my episode. I don't know if you are, but this one I'm kind of a little stoked about. I keep finding ones that are unsolved, and this one actually got solved this year. Oh, yay, I like an answer. (laughs) All right, I know. So, super stoked about mine. I guess I'm going to give you a little hint before I start, and then uh, you can tell me whatever. And I got to give you your present that I I found. Oh, my God. Okay. My hint is it happens in the state of, drumroll please, Kentucky. Is it recent? Define recent. In the last 20, 30 years? Uh, yes, it would be recent then. Hmm. You like how I asked that and I have no idea what it could be? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can tell you're interested, so I'm super excited. Also, I got this gift. Did you get it for Dirty Santa? No. Sorry. I got this gift and I kind of loved it. And I was like, I don't deserve this because I'm crooks. And That's horrible. <laughs> Because I'm crooks and you're creeps, so I wanted you to take it. (gasps) Oh my god! Have a Merry Squatch Mess! And it has a freaking blue Sasquatch with mittens and a scarf. I love him. I was like, he's so freaking cute. He just looks so happy, doesn't he? Does he's he's so happy because he's he's never gonna be seen. It's a it's a built thermal mug, and it's got. A decal of blue Sasquatch with, like, all his winter gear on, smiling. And it says, have a merry Squatchmas. It's so adorable. I love it. And I was like, it's got a reusable straw and everything, so we're saving the turtles. Saving the turtles. So I was really excited about that. And I was like, I have to give this to Creeps, because I don't deserve this. <laughs> I don't deserve this. Now, if this. you find something with, like, a, a serial killer on it, I'll take it. But uh, Well, I have to find something now. Oh, no. <laughs> But it's super exciting. Wow. So the haiku is, Comfortable lair, a female leopard mink hunts for small primates. Um, Comfortable lair, a female leopard mink hunts for the small primates. Why did I immediately think of small primates as, like, little kids? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's incredible because my thought was sea monkeys. <laughs> that what? Small primates. Small primates. No, small humans like toddlers. I I was like, why is there? Why are they hunting toddlers? And I, I don't like, actually oh. know if they're big enough to take on toddlers. Well, the cryptid is. The modern relative is not. I think we shall see. So it's a it's a big cat that goes into a little cat, or that is now a little cat. Mm, littler, like big cat, like tiger, lion, leopard, or little cat, like domestic house cat. Oh no, not domestic! Like it's fluffy. one of the top predators of this uh, country. Of this country. That we're in right now? No, of the country I'm going to be talking about. So, oh. surprise! This is also my international episode. Oops. Why didn't you tell me? 
Why did I forgot. You, why didn't you say anything? <laughs> I got really excited about it and I forgot. It's okay. I my brain hurts. I want to. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what. My brain hurts every episode, but I'm trying to figure out what that would be. You did have. the last two episodes. You've been like, I have a headache. <laughs> I because these are all new to me. They're fresh, you know. <laughs> I I just know that I like cats and meow. I'm excited to see. <laughs> Every time you talk about a cryptid, you always give an animal noise. <laughs> part, part, it was bad, and now it's meow. Well, that's not every time. I didn't have a 66% noise. Sixty-six percent of the time, I didn't have. Don't math at me. How rude! <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna think about that while I'm while I'm learning you about this here uh, killer. Learn me about it, baby. Okay, so today. I am going to be telling you about the Days in Murders. Oh, I've heard of this. Also known as the I-65 Murders. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, this took place in Kentucky mm-hmm. along the Interstate I-65. This took place, sorry, 90s. Okay. Okay, this, this particular incident took place in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, before, before Weast was born... And, um... I'm sorry, what did you just say? Before Weast. (laughs) Before we were, sorry, Weast. I thought you were saying West, and I was like, West was definitely a thing before the 90s. West doesn't, they don't go here. Um, but before we were born, this is when this happened. Mm -hmm. So, I was like, I don't really know how to, to go into this without telling you who the culprit ended up being Mm -hmm. first because I did all my notes surrounding who they figured out was the person who did this. You focused on the salt part of it. I I really did because for so long, I mean, this this was considered a cold case from up until about 2010. So there are a lot of other podcasts that have covered this from the mystery angle. Yeah. I'm going to try my best to kind of lead up to it, but it's going to take me a second for my brain to process and omit this person's name because again redacted did all this first let's just go into a crime line of what ended up happening a crime line a crime line so this is what i'm calling this section now instead of a timeline it's a crime line i like that tm and um let's go into our crime line of what happened surrounding the infamous i-65 murders mm-hmm So, on February 21st, 1987, a murder had occurred at a Super 8 motel in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. On this day, a man went and sexually assaulted and shot a 41-year-old woman named Vicki Lucille Heath, who was a night clerk at the Super 8 motel in Elizabethtown, Kentucky. The motel had showed signs of a fight with things being out of place and most notably a telephone that of course at that time was you know mounted to the wall Mm -hmm. was uprooted from the wall so a lot of force went into this fight now the police did a suspect according to the crime scene that this person was dead um, because their body was not found inside of the super 8 and no one could get in contact with vicky lucille heath so okay. police searched the... Sorry. What? No, sorry. I just... I'm delayed. I'm processing still. The, you said this was in Elizabethtown? Yeah. Elizabethtown. That's... E-Town, Kentucky. Weird, because that's what... 45 minutes out of Louisville? Yeah. So you would think that Louisville would be where the crime would... Like, it would be more 
ambiguous, you know? Right, but no. That's this... interesting. So was this, did he live around this area? Um. Are you going to get into it? I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I know, I know. That's, when I started looking into this, I'm like, but why here? Like, in right, all of Kentucky. Right, that's, that's weird. Um, E-Town, a lot of people know E-Town, um, from that one movie that took place in E-Town. I can't remember what it was. Um, you say so. I just know it because everybody in school that was a delinquent was like, oh my god, they're sending me to E-Town. Yeah. I was like, why would they ship you to another county? I don't understand. <laughs> they're all the same here. I don't You're going to be a delinquent there too, but okay. Um, but, um, E-Town was also pretty famous because of this unsolved case. Now. Like, I, for real, like, I heard that phrase so much that I thought it was, like, a boot camp or a reform school. You you thought that when I heard the phrase E-Town, I thought of Eastern State Penitentiary. See? So reform. Like, and I was like, what? <laughs> this isn't, no. I was, I, like, I really thought it was some type of juvie. Some sort of, um, what was, what's that show called? Scared straight? Yes, thank you. I'm glad you knew what I was <laughs> thinking in my mind. I was like, the kids in the prison uniforms that go into prison. Right. And the big buff men go and yell in their face. Right. Saying, you don't want to do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> so this was sleepy little E-Town, Kentucky, Elizabethtown. And the police, like I was saying, they knew that this woman didn't make it, obviously. Right. According right. to the crime. So at this point, they were just like looking for her body. No one had heard from her. No one had seen her. Police searched around the area and not too long after searching her body was found behind a trash bin near the motel so it didn't take very long for them to look at the crime scene go outside take a few steps and then find her corpse so this guy didn't want her body in the crime scene but also didn't actually dispose of it away from the crime scene uh yeah what's what i feel like he's just really sloppy obviously it looks like yeah so later on, um, this is two years later, on March 3rd, 1989, the same man killed two hotel clerks along the I-65 corridor. Mm -hmm. First victim was 24-year-old Margaret Mary Peggy Grill, mm -hmm. and she was a night auditor at the Maryville, Indiana Days Inn. Um, unfortunately, according to the marks left on her body, she was sexually assaulted and shot twice in the head. And later on, her body was dumped in a back alley. Okay. Now, was his first victim essay? Yes. he. She was also essayed. Okay. And it turned out that this man also committed robbery mm -hmm. because $179 was taken from the motel. So, from what they could understand, he robbed this auditor. After robbing her, took her somewhere, assaulted, and shot her. Mm -hmm. And killed her. And then, you know, dumped her. Body. So this is from E-Town to Indiana, so this is a range of, what, a couple hours? Uh, yeah, a couple, about maybe an hour, hour and a half. Okay. Um, and this is also two years later after the incident with uh, Vicki Lucille Heath. Okay. So this happened on March 3rd. Four hours later, that same day, the same man sexually assaulted and shot 34-year-old Jean Gilbert and Jean Gilbert was a part-time auditor at the Remington Indiana Days Inn. Now, that's weird that he went from two years to two in one day. Right. And her body was also found near the roadway, and it was found by a person who was passing by um, mm -hmm. in their car. It turns out also that something very similar had happened to Jean Gilbert because $247 were taken from the motel. 
and this person also both shot the women with the same twenty two caliber handgun. Mm-hmm. So the crimes that happened on March 3rd were connected pretty quickly by police, but again, they did not know who this person was. They just knew that he was doing this and also getting away with multiple crimes at once. He was, you know, essaying people, robbing, um, killing. So now in the late 80s, early 90s, was DNA a thing? Yeah. Yeah. Is that how they solved the case? No. Well, yes. Oh, okay. Stop. You're getting ahead of yourself. Well, because I was like, what do you mean they don't know who it is? Did they not take DNA? And then I was like, well, maybe they didn't do DNA then. I well, had to ask, and then you said they did. And I was like, okay, so well, why couldn't they find him? And it was a whole thing. Well, I, I will explain. Okay? I will explain. <laughs> but I want to know now. I, I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Trust me. I When I was doing this, I was like, this is stupid. I'm well, because so also, also, I was like, at this point, two in one day in Indiana, you would think the Indiana hotels would have night staff be male at this point but i know he didn't stay in indiana no so it's kind of redundant right okay now we're going to skip forward into the 90s january 2nd 1990 so one day after the new decade Mm -hmm. or two days after the new decade um so what like nine months after those two so pretty much nine months after that happened um was the rape of a Days Inn clerk in Columbus, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And this happened on Ju- January 2nd, 1990. Her name was not exposed to the newspapers because she oh, survived. No. Oh, I thought you were going to say because she was underage. No. She was 21 years old and she was a hotel clerk at the end of the Days Inn, but she survived the attack and she reported to police. A man had sexually assaulted, stabbed, and robbed her. Uh-huh. And she was able to describe her attacker, and a composite drawing of the suspect was produced. It's interesting that he didn't shoot her. Did he realize at this point that they were going to connect his weapon? Or did he just, is it just a crime of opportunity? Now, also, why days in? Why not, like, Hilton, where they're going to have actual <laughs> money? I don't know. I think, oh, I, I killed guess somebody because, for $200. I guess because it's not... As amateur night affluent, if you think of a days in, you're not thinking of like a very good stay at a motel. Not trying to right. trash the motel, but like if right, if but I if was given the opportunity of staying at a days in or or a Hilton, I would obviously be picking Hilton. Right, that's what I'm saying. So you know, Hilton has more money. So it's not like he's doing this with the intention of robbing as his motive. It's like the robbing is a byproduct. Right, I know. But I don't, it just, I don't know. It makes no sense. Okay, cool. Um, so this is where I was going to get into something that you had talked about earlier. So, police were smart back in the 1989 murders of Margaret Grill and Jean Gilbert. Uh-huh. They were smart. They basically were like, this person has obviously done this before because he's killed two people in one night. Right. And so they went ahead and took his DNA evidence uh-huh. from here. The Since this is happening in Indiana as well, just in a different part of Indiana, police then took DNA evidence of the attack that happened on the 21-year-old hotel clerk, and they were able to link the attacks using DNA evidence, but were not able to pinpoint who. Right but they were able to link them. So they knew that this uh, this attack and the murders previous were by the same person. 
Okay, so basically, after that, we don't have anything until 1991. Now, I can't give you a month in 1991 because they didn't know when this was going to happen. Okay. Okay. It just says in 1991, the same person sexually assaulted and stabbed another woman in Rochester, Minnesota. This woman survived and gave a similar description of the assailant, knowing that he wore a flannel shirt, jeans, as well as bearing a lazy eye. So this ended up not really doing much, except for in terms of visual appearance, linking this person to this case, to the the previous cases aforementioned. And um, fortunately, at the end of all of this, this case was linked by DNA analysis in 2013. And this case, um, in terms of so the there woman... there were only five victims? Well, mm, for this set of things. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this woman um, ended up having this case linked, and it was the only known attack that occurred around Interstate 90. So this is the only attack that happened off of I-65 instead of happened on I-90. Okay. He's very inconsistent. Yeah, um, he is. He, 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 uh, he was, he was not. That's a, not typical of a serial killer, No, is it? he, he's, he's kind of erratic. And I kind of want to say this, but I'm a little scared too. But I compared him a lot to Ted Bundy. So, well, no, because Ted Bundy had an M.O. This guy is just, so far, the only thing he's done is target days in. So it's the only consistency. That is he's not even stayed in the same area. No, exactly. But Bundy also didn't <clears throat> stay in the same area. He was a traveling serial killer. That's true, but and he did have the same victim type and the same, like, workup of his victims. He did. This man so, just went after women and, um, unfortunately, you know... He he ended up being um, very gross, <laughs> and uh, a lot happened with Syphilis. this kid. Yeah. I wonder if he's technically a serial killer or if he's technically a mass murderer because his victims are so random. They, well, I'll Well, tell I guess you. mass murder has to occur within a time frame, though. Well, I will tell you. Okay, cool. So, under this, we're going to talk a little bit about the investigations that happened. The murders were considered a cold case until 2008, where DNA evidence um, was submitted. In 2010, the Kentucky State Police officially announced that DNA evidence linked the three murders, and they were officially dealing with a serial killer. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, It also linked this man to at least four cases in several states where female motel works... A clerks worked around um, I-65 were sexually assaulted and robbed. Uh-huh. But not killed? No, not killed. So the attacks ended up occurring between January and March. Those led police to believe that the killer was a seasonal worker and Elizabethtown police suspected the killer to be a truck driver or traveling salesman between the age of 55 and 65 because of A, the way that these happened during off-season, January to March... Uh, B, because they happen along major roads, and C, because of his description. So he only had five 
victims that he killed, but he had multiple SA victims. Uh, three victims were killed and two survived that were along I-65, but another four were suspected of being assaulted and robbed. So technically, he's had six that have survived uh-huh. and three that were killed. Okay, so... That he For a 65-year-old man to overpower and assault that many women seems like a stretch. Yeah, so. Um, this is kind of what happens. Okay? Okay. Serial killer ended up being identified through a DNA match by a close family member. Oh, so a family yeah. member had submitted his DNA... And because of that, they were able to link people to a man um, by the name of da, 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 Harry Edward Greenwall. Okay. Okay. That sounds so, like a Kentucky name. Yeah. So after the testing was done by the DNA match, the Indiana State Police returned a match of 99.999, which is very likely. Yeah. Probability. Of Greenwall being the person that did these murders and everything that was connected to it. Um, The Indiana State Police announced the identification of this man on April 5th, 2022. Okay. And stated that they are investigating the distinct possibility of him being involved in other violent crimes across the Midwest. Now, let's talk about Harry Greenwell. So there's his personal life. Harry Greenwell was born in Louisville, Kentucky to Paul and Dorothy Greenwell. Uh-huh. On January 17th, 1963, he was arrested for an armed robbery in Louisville and was sentenced on April 12th, 1963 to two years in reformatory along with five years of probation. Uh-huh. Um, Homeboy pretty much was always in trouble and he had a reputation for being in trouble. So let's talk about when he was born. Okay, dude was born December 9th, 1944. Okay? 1944? 1944. And he was getting in trouble God, at the age that of 19. Was still segregation. Yeah, he was getting in trouble starting at 19, pretty much. He, okay. he was a troubled lad. <laughs> and, um, you know, he ended up doing that. Um, let's go through his crime line after this. April 12th, 63, sentenced to two years of reformatory and five years probation. Um, February 23rd, 1965, he was arrested in Jefferson County, Kentucky, which is Louisville, uh-huh. for sodomy charges. Um, okay. October of 1969. Now, sodomy is essay on a male, right? Yes. Okay. Um, Harry was also paroled from Kentucky State Penitentiary in October of 69. Oh my God. Wait now, a minute. Can you be a state pen criminal and be a DOT employee? Not sure. Because that would also poke holes in my truck driver theory. Uh, yep. Okay. Um, I, yes. So we're going to talk about what he ended up doing for his life. Okay. Um, in, on April 28th, 1978, Greenwell's wife died in a tragic house fire in Vernon County, Wisconsin. I'm sorry. We so, went from Jeffersonville to Wisconsin? He moved to Wisconsin, and he got married, and he had a life there, Uh and he had stopped his crime. This, you know, the old tale of this woman changed his life, basically. Or he was just doing it to her. Or he was just doing it to her. And after she died, that's when things started getting bad again. Okay. 
Um, because he went eight years without doing anything, and okay. that was around the time he was married to his first wife. Does it say how she died? The house fire? House fire. Okay. Did it say if it was arson? No, it just said a, a tragic house fire. Okay. On August 21st, 1980, he remarried in Henry County, Kentucky, so he moved back down to good old Kentucky and got married again. Mm-hmm. However, in June 17th, 1982, he was arrested in Vernon County, Iowa, for burglary, and he escaped quest custody twice, but was eventually recaptured. He moved back to Kentucky when? He went back to Kentucky in, in 1980. And then in 82, he was, he was in Iowa? And then in 82, he was in Iowa. Living or traveling? Um, we're gonna, I'm gonna get into that. <sighs> Goodness gracious. <laughs> Chill. On August 10th in the same year of 82, he was sentenced to Anamosa State Penitentiary in Iowa. Good God. And then that next year, in 83, in December, he was released and <laughs> given back to Kentucky State Reformatory. <laughs> so this guy, literally, he gets he gets taken to, like, 50 different places. They just don't want him. He's <laughs> had two state pen sentences and gotten out of both of them. And gone to Reformatory. Um, so, 83 is the last thing that anything happened before he began his serial killing spree in 1987. Right. Um, 1987, that's when Vicki Lucille Heath was murdered by him. Um, 1989 is when Margaret Gill and, sorry, Jean Gilbert was murdered by him. And then later on, on March 9th, okay, so this is what I need you to know, Okay. March 3rd, 1989 is when the two women were killed. Right. On the same day. Right. March 9th, so six days later, he was arrested in Wisconsin for traffic violations. Okay. In the same month, March 23rd, he was arrested in La Crosse, Wisconsin for a domestic incident, and he also violated a restraining order in March and April against that same person in Wisconsin. What the fuck? Yes. He's got a lot going on. Um, April 18th, 1989, so that same year, he was sentenced to 15 months of probation for criminal trespasses. And then, he obviously got out. Of course. Because in 1990 was when the 21-year-old was raped and survived, and 91 was when he raped and stabbed another woman. And fortunately, there's a big gap in his um, crimes, which is another reason why he really couldn't get pinpointed. There were so many big gaps between him doing stuff. Yeah, it's very erratic. Yeah, they couldn't really figure out what to do. October 11th of 1998, um, he was arrested in Alamaki County, Iowa, for felony possession. So now he's getting into drugs. Okay. Um, November 13th of 98, well, he was... But- was it drugs though? Because if he's been in the state penitentiary, he's a felon, right? And if you're a felon, you can't possess a firearm. So isn't that also a felony possession? It, or is it well, a felony possession of a firearm? It just said felony possession. So I'm assuming that's drugs. Because it would specify of a firearm, okay. I think. Okay. So I'm pretty sure it's drugs. Um, he was also arrested for violating a restraining order in again. Alamaki County. Again, in the same year in November. Same person? Um, no. Different person. <laughs> <laughs> November 16th in 1998, the restraining order violation case was dismissed. So three days later, his defense attorney managed to get his case dismissed. Mm. Now, here's what he did. 
in January, this is this is January 2010 to 2013, uh, just kind of giving you an idea of what happened. Mm-hmm. Greenwell retired from his position in the Canadian Pacific Railway in February of 2010. Okay. So he traveled along the railway, and this is how he, pro- he this is how he committed these murders. So I, I'm not trying to sound dumb. The Canadian Railway was it a, like a company name like a brand name or was it yeah, actually it was a, in canada no a company name okay cool he retired in february of 2010 and during the time that he retired he lived in a small town where he was reportedly said to have been a quote kind and charismatic man noted for his generosity he also indulged in a variety of hobbies ranging from organic gardening frequenting the farmer's market where he sold his produce, traveling, reading, wordsmithing, and held great interest in college sports and horse racing. Wordsmithing? Wordsmithing. I want to be a wordsmith. Yeah, but he also killed people and essayed them, so, you know. I just want to be a wordsmith. <laughs> like, so, he he lived a, he lived a double life. They usually do. unfortunately, so- in 2013, he died from cancer in Lansing, Iowa, so he was never brought to justice. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, well, I mean, it doesn't really sound like he was going to be. <laughs> no, but... It's one of those cases where it's like, dang, I wish he could have been, you know, prosecuted. But okay, but at the same time, you get, you he know. Got cancer. So. You get, well, that's just karma. But if you go to prison, you get, you know, exercise time and library time and, and organized activities. And you get to have cell phones now and television and internet access. And it's really not like a punishment anymore. Right. So I don't feel bad for him. Good. He died. Right. Right? That's not to say that all criminals deserve to die or anything like that. Like, people but can reform, but he, he didn't. <laughs> but no, he, he did this. You know, it was... And of course, no one had any had any idea he did this, and um, they just recently figured out who he was in terms of DNA testing and, you know, um, all of that. He was never really brought... He was never brought to justice. No one ever knew he did a single thing. He lived a double life, and I think that that's terrifying. You know, to think that you can have someone who is known, like, in, he's re- that is retired, and people see him as a kind person, mm-hmm. charismatic, mm-hmm. having hobbies like gardening or going to farmer's markets or reading or traveling, you know, things that, mm-hmm. but also be the person <clears throat> who is assumed to have committed anywhere between 9 and 15 violent crimes across the South and Midwest. But that's how it usually works out, because wasn't Ted Bundy also, like, a, you know, super well-known, yes. affluent, charming... Yes, and that's why I compared him to Ted Bundy a lot, because they are very similar. Well, it's just a name that you hear a lot. Like, when you hear Jeffrey Dahmer, everybody was like, no, he was weird. He was quiet, but he was weird. Right. You, you hear Ted Bundy, and they're like, oh my god, I love him! Yeah, because he was not the, he was not the normal serial He wasn't killer. creepy. He, he wasn't, was, yeah. He wasn't someone who incited fear. He was someone who incited interest. And, unfortunately, that's what, you know, this, Which this is in what this, Henry, Harry did. In this case, I don't understand it, because... Like, Ted Bundy being charming kind of makes sense. He had to get onto another location. He had to, you know, get them to have their guard down. Because he intended to spend a little bit of time with them. 
Right. But this guy just was like, mm, I'm going to show up here and you can't get away from me because you work here. So I sh- shouldn't have to charm you. You already have to talk to me. Right. Well, I want you to look at this picture of him and tell me if you don't find him creepy as hell. The police sketch makes me uncomfortable. The picture of him... He's not somebody I'd stop and talk to. No. He's he's off-putting. A little bit. It's just, he's off-putting. His stance is off-putting. Like, his body language is showing... He's, like, ready to do something. You know what I mean? Like, he looks like he's postured to react to whatever you do. Square, yeah. yeah. So, it's, it's like... And he also kind of looks like he's not seeing this reality. He looks like he's on drugs. A little bit. Which could explain the felony possession. And these are the three victims that died. Well, it would also explain the erratic nature of his crimes. And those are his three victims that died. Which is so sad. And I hate that. That's interesting, because that, that one woman looks like she's white. And the other um, two are ethnic? Um, they are all white. I'm pretty sure everything I just said was offensive. Yeah, probably. Well, I mean... But- I don't want to say mixed, and I don't know another term. No, I mean, I, I don't. It. He had a type. White women. Uh, I mean, to be fair. I guess they all might have dark hair and dark eyes. They all look like they have dark hair, dark eyes. And that was. Did it say anything about his mom? Does he have mommy issues? No, nothing. Nothing with that. The. Um, the only thing that was really tragic in his life was his, his wife dying in a fire. I wonder what his first wife looked like. Not sure. But I'm glad you put those pictures on your document because those can go up on the Patreon on Facebook. Also, I forgot to mention this. When he married again, he married a 39-year-old single mother who had previously been in an abusive relationship uh-huh. before him. And um, after some time, he adopted, Greenwell had an adoptive daughter from his previous marriage. Mm-hmm. And um, this 39-year-old that he married, he remarried to, ended up giving birth to his son. So he ended up having an adoptive daughter, a stepson, step, a biological step, son, a stepchild, mm-hmm. and then a biological son. Right. And, I mean, they never said anything about him being a bad father, so I guess it was just... Like I said, that double life, being on the railroad. And that was Henry Edward Greenwell. That was confusing. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's solved, and I appreciate that, but I also have so many questions still. I did a lot of notes on him, and it was so hard. And I was like, why does he keep jumping from one place to another until I figured out, oh, he works for the railroad. That makes sense. I was like, mm. the rotation he was on must have had him on that major interstate route. He must have been covering somebody or tipping or something when he did I-90. Yeah. Because that was the only one that was not on his regular route. So you said 9 to 15. We have 9 knowns. How are the 15 unknown? Do they, they not have DNA? They are the ones that they are currently running his DNA through to see if they are connected to Okay, other so when was crimes. this solved? Technically, it technically um, 2022. Really? Yes. Okay. Um, they had an idea of who this person was in 2010 to 2013. That's sad. But they didn't have... That was almost 50 years from the solve up. It's messed up. Yeah. 
And the only reason why they solved it was because a family member related to Greenwell, probably a descendant of his son, mm-hmm. put his DNA in mm-hmm. and it traced back to him, which he had already been dead almost 10 years right. before it was solved. I have questions. Well, he did. We can't really ask him, unfortunately. I know, and I'm kind of upset about it. I need to know things. I don't know. I had a fun time doing this one because it was just, it was weird. Yeah. Uh, but my next one, ugh. I remember you saying you wanted to do the I-65 killer, but you didn't want to do it because it was unsolved. So you finally had a reason to get it. So. Yeah. It was, it was solved in August of this year. Good God. Wow. Yeah. August of 2020, and these crimes were committed in 87 at the earliest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I'm gonna uh, go ahead and fix what I said earlier. I might move it in, in post and just put it in over what I said, or I might leave it in here if I can't. I didn't mean that prison isn't a punishment and that all criminals should die or anything like that. It sounded very brash and I come off that way a lot. A lot of people that are accused or convicted, it's circumstantial. It's not necessarily a part of their character. It's not always something that they would repeat. It's not something, you know, nobody would choose to put themselves in prison. Right. It's not that he deserved more or less than what he got. It's just that for some things like Multiple counts of sexual assault, multiple counts of murder, child molestation, pedophilia, sodomy, sodomy, violent and and intrusive crimes like that. I have strong opinions because it's not that hard to know better. Mm -hmm. If you're doing drugs or if you get in a bar fight or, you know, if you're defending yourself or something like that and it essentially only affects you. I mean, yeah, that's you. That's between you and God. I've got nothing against it. Right. But if you're hurting other people, and if you're hurting, especially if you're hurting kids, I don't care if you live or die. Right. I think a lot of people have that opinion. Well, that's like now they don't, um, most penitentiaries don't put child molesters in the general population. They put them in solitary because the GP will kill them. Yeah. I think they they should let them. They they do. And, uh... But again, you can get some that are wrongly convicted as sex offenders, so... I mean, I get it, I guess. No, I get it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it is a mixture. The justice system needs to be reformed drastically for the people who need it to be reformed, like they're wrongfully convicted. But at the same time, you've got these criminals that are pathological liars. Pathological liars. They are, that are going to try to get out of it. They as are well. awful. Yeah. That, that, well, it's, it's, it's a yeah. hard, there's really no right way to do it. <laughs> No, there's not. So and honestly, cancer might have been the solution. <laughs> I feel like that that was that. I almost feel like that was God's way of being like, "This is for everything that you did." And well, to be fair, it took the state fifty years, so right. And unfortunately, you know, the families are never going to see the justice that they wanted. But at the same time, it's almost like a like a peace to not have that wound reopened. Yeah, out of sight, out of mind, yeah. kind of. So, I mean, but that's just my opinion. Their dead will never be forgotten, but the heinousness that happened to their dead doesn't have to be remembered. Right, it doesn't have to be reopened and and, yeah, all that. And, I mean, God, the prison, thinking about the the 
the amount of time that it would take for, you know, a trial to be set and things to be gone through and evidence. and Oh, I mean, yeah. And then there would, would be been, delays while they counter evidence. And oh, this is been, circumstantial. And should we go to a jury or should we have a closed trial? And It would have been... It would have been unnecessary. It would, yeah, it would have been hellacious for the victims' families. So, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was uh, that horrible person. <laughs> so uh, you know what? How are you named after two kings and fuck up that badly? <laughs> look, you he, said it was Harry Edward, right? Harry Edward Greenwell. Which, to be fair, was it? No, it was Henry. It was Henry the Eighth that killed like eight of his wives because he couldn't get a divorce. Yeah. I was say, well, to be fair, Harry was a shit king, but no, it was Henry. Apparently Harry was, too. <laughs> <laughs> but that was him. Uh, so, yeah, I'm ready to figure out your child-eating cat. <laughs> uh, okay. So, once again, it's comfortable lair of female leopard mink hunts for the small primates. <laughs> the toddlers. But they're not. <laughs> no. They're cute. I'm going to be honest. They're cuter than toddlers. The small primates? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. You ever seen a lemur? Yes. That's I a small primate. Lemurs. And, and I looked it up. I was like, are lemurs marsupials? No, they're small primates. <gasps> oh my gosh. So I once went to the Alabama Zoo. I got to play with lemurs in enclosure for 30 minutes, and it was the best experience of my life. Oh my god, that's a dream. And any all the money that you pay to go play with these lemurs, they go into their conservation and care. I love it. I don't want your cats to eat my lemurs, so I'm a little upset. My woman loves monkeys. They're like her favorite animal, other than big cats. They're adorable. So like, no, you don't understand. We went to Tennessee for Christmas one year, and we went in the shop to feed the bears. Um, and in the shop, they had a, like, it wasn't a photo booth. It was a photographer with, like, sets and props. But he had a monkey. He had <gasps> two. He had two monkeys. I'm sorry. I love that. Okay. Sorry. I had a sidebar. You noticed you talked about bears. And <laughs> bears are my favorite animals ever. Oh, really? Yes. I did not know that. It is my bucket list to hold a baby bear. Because they have bear conservation in Yellowstone, and I really want to go feed them and hold them. Oh, my gosh. I don't even care if it's in Tennessee. <laughs> Like, I'm going to find a bear in the wilderness of the Smokies, and I'm going to feed them. Speaking of Tennessee, well, black bears will be your best bet because they're the least aggressive, so. And I'm totally okay with that. They have the cutest noses. But actually, don't feed wildlife. It uh, gets all naturalized to humans, and then humans hurt them, so yes. don't do it. Yes, yes, yes. That's not good. Do not do that, please. Do we're, not. We're joking. We will do it in a conservation setting. Yeah, for sure. Why would I go? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna mess up the the nature more than it's already the nature. messed up. <laughs> I'm I, no. I, I love, love nature. the nature. I do. I love the nature. Oh my god, that's our first piece of merch. I love the nature with a bear silhouette. Oh my god. Yes. <gasps> anyway, um, I'm gonna pee my pants. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Tennessee, we went to. Oh, I don't know. I think it was a, the rainforest experience or something. It was in Tennessee. And they have all kinds of little primates and marsupials. And there were, like, lemur-like animals that I swear to God were smaller than my hand. Oh, my God. And a portion of the ticket price that you pay to enter there also goes to their conservation efforts. And it wasn't bad. It was cheaper than the aquarium, if I remember correctly. 
Mm, Ripley's Aquarium? Uh, no, the one in Cincinnati. Oh, uh, that's, a uh, that's Newport. Newport. Yeah. Yeah. I like Newport. I don't like Ripley's. Yeah, I wasn't impressed with Ripley's. This is a hot take. <laughs> um, I think Ripley's is overrated. Honestly, so we did, when we did Ripley's, we had, like, the three-pack bundle or whatever where we got Ripley's Museum, the Guinness World Records Museum, and the Ripley's Aquarium. Yeah, which are nowhere near each other, but yes. Ripley's was, it's kind of like if you've ever seen a Rob Zombie movie. It's something that would have passed in the 70s, but not modernly. Um, What I go to Tennessee for is, in the winter, when it's cold, is you get a cabin. And you go and you sit out in the hot tub in the hot water with the cold air and it's beautiful. And you're watching And you drink. Yes. So. (laughs) Now that we've had 15 minutes of digression. Sorry. um, Animals. Primates. Cats. Oh my. So tell me if you know what this is from. I like to move it, move it. (gasps) Madagascar! Yes! Um, The best movie ever. Sugar Honey Iced Tea. Sugar honey iced tea. I love the hippo. <laughs> uh, Gloria. She's a mood. So, we are talking about the giant Fusa. <gasps> the Fusa! Yes! And if you remember, the Fusa was the thing that all the little lemurs hid from. Yes! It that, was the predator. Yes, that Alex was going to join their, their, their tribe. Fusa. I don't yeah. know. Tribe, pride, gang, <laughs> squad. <laughs> um, Fam. Family. Um... No, not family. Fam. You said squad. Sorry, fam. Get hip with lingo. Fam. <laughs> so, the indigenous pronunciation seems to be foosh, but um, the widely accepted pronunciation seems to be fusa. Okay. An attempt to pay homage to the origins of this cryptid. I was going to say foosh, but I only found that in one source. So, I'm going to use fusa. And if that's incorrect by indigenous standards, please reach out and let me know and I will correct it. But there seem to be main, two main types of Fusa, according to the Malagasy people, which is what the residents of Madagascar are called, so I learned something. Oh. The red and the black, with the black being larger and rarer. Okay. They, so, sorry. The red, are the red Fusa what is presented, or sorry, portrayed in the movie? Probably. Okay. They seem to be something between large cats and gigantic weasels. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't I didn't think that, but I see that now. <laughs> Which means either way, they're predatory and carnivorous. Hold on, I'll pull them up. Amazing. I can't wait for them to be. See, look at their faces. <gasps> I am turning slowly. I just want to pet all of them. How are they how are they not? Oh my god. Wait, hang on. I need a close-up. Oh my god. Why does... It does. It looks like a, a rat cat. But cuter. Because it's got, it's like, adorable. the rounded nose and the rounded ears and the big eyes. But then it's got these, you know, murder mittens, like cats do. But <gasps> then it's got this solid, thick, weasel leopard tail. What the heck? What in the world? Uh-huh. They look so strange. Look at these teeth. It's got the carnassials like big cats. But it's got this little nose and I just want to boop it. I'm sorry. My favorite thing. I know this is weird. The whiskers on that thing. Look at that. It's majestic. <laughs> like that head. It's majestic. It is adorable. Yeah. Okay. So yes. these That would be the red. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's there's a... actually a. 
That's amazing. <gasps> Those are exactly how I remember them. Yeah, the actual Fusa is cuter than Cartoon Fusa, which is weird until you remember that they're, they're the villains. That's fair. Yeah, they're they're supposed to be portrayed as ugly. Yeah. Kind of like the hyenas in um, Lion King. Yes. Except hyenas actually are kind of ugly. Well, you know... God has we can't all be we can't all be God's favorites. <laughs> God has his favorites. Okay, so Vicky Crokey and Roy Toft in April of two thousand described the Fusa in Discover Magazine as quote half mongoose, half clouded leopard. Madagascar's Fusa is rarely seen and barely understood, yet essential to the natural balance of this threatened Eden. Hmm. End quote. Because the Fusa is the largest predator in Madagascar. Hmm. So the Fusa was reported as early as, I'm sorry, the giant Fusa. So to clarify, the giant Fusa is the cryptid that we're talking about. Okay. The Fusa is a real living animal and it's a descendant or sister sibling relative of sister species. That's the term I was looking for of the giant Fusa, but they do currently exist. They are real animals. So this might be. The only cryptid that is actually scientifically proven because they have descendants. That's awesome. So, the giant fusa was reported as early as 1658 in Madagascar, recorded by the French governor of Madagascar, so like an actual official who was known for making accurate descriptions of Malagasy animals. He reported, quote, The Madagascar Tamba is an animal as large as a dog with a round head, and resembling the leopard. Hmm. It devours both men and cattle, and is only found in the most deserted parts of the island. End quote. Hmm. The Antamba is a word used for the giant fusa, and the claims of it devouring men and cattle only applies to the giant fusa. The modern fusa is not large enough to be capable of that, and it hasn't been seen in their behavioral habit. Could they eat a toddler? Maybe. But not a man. Yeah, there's a hundred pound difference there, so... (laughs) (laughs) that's a big toddler (laughs) according to discover magazine quote the fusa was first seen by westerners in 1833 but they noticed little about it other than its taste for blood i oh in 1874 (laughs) you're not gonna gonna elaborate about this little cute weasel loving blood like a like Dracula? Listen, I already said weasels and cats are both predatory and carnivorous, and this is both. I don't know what you want from me. I just, I imagine a little fusa at like a, a malt shop, like a milkshake place, you know? You just but in the slurping days, up O negative. Slurping up O negative, yeah. Well, a, so, B positive. So you're imagining a vampire? I'm imagining a vampire cat, yes. Cool, it would be a weasel. nice DD character. A vampire cat weasel? Yeah. But hang on, would they can be considered as part of um, the lycanthrope trope? Mm, no, because blood consumption is not necessary for lycanthropes. Where they're animals, consumption of meat is necessary for lycanthropes. So if you're going to allow them to eat the carcass as well as drinking the blood, then yes. Well, why would you waste good meat? I'm not saying you would. Now, if I was a vampire, or sorry. If I was a lycanthrope, I wouldn't be eating meat. Because of my personality. You eat chicken. That's meat. Because 
I can't stand you. <laughs> but, okay, anyway, sorry. It's a big toddler. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> it's a large <laughs> man. It's a big, hefty fusa. There you go. You got there. Okay, a big, okay. hefty fusa. I'm so sorry. My, I am... I am... <laughs> an emotion, and I can't pinpoint it right now. I am feel. I am am feeling things. You are not supposed to catch tuberculosis from me. Okay. According to Discover Magazine, quote, the FUSA was first seen by Westerners in 1833, Okay, but they noticed little about it other than its taste for blood. In 1874, Johnson's Natural History noted that the FUSA is, quote, ferocious and sanguinary in the highest degree, end quote. Hmm. So they love carnage. <laughs> they love to eat animals. Same though. Hunter Paul Kazard began to hear about giant cave-dwelling cats living in deserted island regions where they preyed upon livestock and their keepers. These reports were around the 1930s, so nearly 300 years later. So from the 1600s to the 1930s, we still have reports of giant FUSA. So this is the second time that it's been mentioned that FUSA eat not only cattle, but the men that tend the cattle. Mm-hmm. Now what's interesting to me is that it says that they're cave-dwelling cats. That's unusual. They're, wait, hang on. They're in Madagascar, but they're cave-dwelling? Yes. So I'm assuming Madagascar has a lot of caves. Um, I think so. I think, like, if you think of the coastline around Maine, how it's super rocky, mm-hmm. and then remember that Madagascar is an island, so likely volcanic. Yeah, that would make for pockets for, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So, in 1954, a forestry official in Morandava captured a very large cat, measuring roughly two meters, seven feet, Good in length. God. And... Sorry. <laughs> And weighing roughly 30 kilograms, or 70 pounds. Mm-hmm. So, it's not realistic that that could kill a cow, which tends to be 300 plus pounds, as, you know, adolescents. Right. But, you know, cheetahs take young gazelles, which are bigger than them, so. But it does say that it had been attempting to attack livestock along the west coast of Madagascar. Okay. And it was believed to be a fusa. I'm sorry. There's an airplane in this room. There really, really is. So, wait. This this big cat was attempting to take down things along the East Coast. And they... Att- attempting to attack livestock, yes. Okay. But back to what you were talking about with the... with the Seven the... feet and 70 pounds. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. No, that shouldn't work, but... I'm gonna... Hold on. I should have looked this up a second ago. It also doesn't matter how big you are... If you have your fangs sunk into a throat. Right. Like you said, the fangs sunk into the throat, which might also feed into the reports of them being sanguinary. Right. And liking blood. It might just be the fact that grabbing something by the throat is the easiest way to kill it if it's bigger than you. Right. I mean, that's pretty That's pretty instant, you would think. So, when you consider that lionesses hunting alone are able to take down wildebeest, zebra, and young buffalo. Right. It's possible that a smaller, similar-sized cat could take down something cow-sized. Right. But it's, it's also possible that the term livestock refers to smaller animals like 
chickens or rabbits or sheep as well. Because it just says livestock. It doesn't specify cattle. I mean, yeah, anything at that point. Whatever they can they can use as livestock in Madagascar would be fair game. So. Right. So, the Fusa exist even today, though they're a much smaller sister species, averaging about 5 feet and 50 pounds, mm-hmm. or 1.5 meters and 25 kilograms. Cool. So, they're three quarters of the size of the giant Fusa? 7 feet and 70 pounds, much 5 small. feet and 50 pounds? Yeah, a little smaller. Yeah. So, modern Fusa sleep in trees... But sub-fossils have been found in caves, implying giant fusa slept in dens. Hmm. So if you think of, like, Pride Rock and Lion King. Yeah. Kind of like that. That's interesting. So also like modern fusa, giant fusa hunted lemurs. The difference being, ancient lemurs were roughly the size of gorillas. Uh Uh-huh. So... The cat was bigger, and the food was bigger, and now the cat is smaller, and now the food is smaller. We love evolution. Which, right, could just be the effect of humans crowding out their natural, you know, territory. Right. Because, like, if you put, you see this a lot in livestock, if you put a chicken in a 3 by 3 pen, it's gonna grow to the size to be comfortable in that pen. Right. Versus if you put it in a 10 by 10 pen, it's yes. gonna be bigger. Yes, all of your animals grow to the size of their territory that you allow them. Right. Like with fish, you know, yes. cows, chickens. Fish are a great example. Snakes. Snakes, yeah. Hermit crabs. <laughs> Pretty much anything. <laughs> anything that eats will grow to the size of its territory. That's why I got a big house for my big body. <laughs> You're <Okay>? dumb. <laughs> but it's true, though. It is true. <sighs> okay. So the giant foos are classified as cathameral. Which means they hunt in day or night. Cool. I'm sorry. The Fusa is an apex predator in Madagascar and will opportunistically feed on other animals like birds, frogs, rabbits, and snakes. Hmm. So it doesn't care what it eats. It just Mm. wants to eat. Basically. Cool. Kind of like a cat. Like, you know, they'll bring you a bird or a mouse or a a whole chicken. God forbid. Yeah. They have retractable claws. And eyes that are round to allow for maximum and minimum pupil dilation. Both features being much like that of other large cats. Okay. According to the NOCS Provisions article on FUSA, quote, It's unknown exactly when the giant FUSA went extinct, but scientists believe it happened sometime before the 1650s. This made it the only known carnivorian, carnivorous, excuse me, the only known carnivorous mammal no, this is a quote. They said carnivorian, not me. Okay, cool. This made it the only known carnivorian mammal to go extinct in Madagascar. End quote. Which means not only did the giant fusa go extinct, but it was a real cryptid. It went extinct. Right, like there was evidence of it. Right. There, there's fossil evidence and accounts. So, that means the later accounts may have been the transitional period between giant fusa and modern fusa. Like, um... We had a 1685 account, we had a 1930s account, and we had an 18-something account. They might have been gradually decreasing in size as their population decreased, or as the weaker ones lived, or whatever. You know, evolution. But, modern Fusa are facing extinction again. Oh, no. According to Mia Lana Lurs, during her Kirindi Forest study, quote, Unfortunately, Fusas, like much of Madagascar's wild biodiversity, are faced with extinction. 
classified as vulnerable by the IUCN Red List. The greatest impact on FUSAs is habitat loss, which has led to numerous challenges for big predators requiring large spaces to hunt, end quote. Coupled with villagers seeing them as dangerous to their livestock and their children, and the general world population not knowing of these animals, conservation has been made difficult. To bring awareness to the FUSA, Lures gives public presentations on the animal. It is fascinating and beautiful. And if you haven't looked them up yet, I suggest you do. They're really neat. Um, we will put pictures out on the socials about them. If you're interested in learning more or supporting the conservation efforts, I have emailed Dr. Lures for direct, correct information, as most of what I could find seem to be American-based websites, and we want to support the indigenous areas and websites that we pull these stories from. Lures also believes that a big sort of PR campaign would be for tourism and um, interest in the FUSA to directly benefit the Malagasy people um, to help break some of that stigma around them and suspicion. So we definitely want to support Malagasy-based organizations for the conservation of these animals. She did email me back. She is sick right now. We're supposed to speak more in a few weeks, so hopefully we have an update from her. I'm so excited to hear from her. She I can't believe she stuff. actually answered me. That's like <laughs> awesome, but that shows that she like cares, cares about it. Yeah. You know, like she's like I don't know who this random person is, but I'm gonna answer them. I love that. But in case we don't hear back from her, because she is a very busy woman and has actual events to attend to, <laughs> um, Happy Hollow Parks and Zoo in San Jose said, quote, the FUSA's conservation status is listed as vulnerable by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the IUCN. One of the main threats faced by the FUSA is habitat loss and human predation. One organization working to protect vital FUSA habitat in Madagascar is the Madagascar Biodiversity Fund. This organization aims to establish protected areas. Protected areas are a defined region of habitat managed by a government or non-governmental organization whose purpose is to provide a space for wildlife to prosper without negative human interaction. In addition to protected areas, the Madagascar Biodiversity Fund also focuses on establishing corridors, habitats that link protected areas to one another, uh, to benefit all wildlife in Madagascar. If you would like to help FUSAs, you can start by spreading information. If you would like to take your con conservation action a step further, you can purchase coffee that is shade-grown, wood-certified by the Forest Stewardship Council, and locally grown produce. These products do not require the destruction of rainforest land to grow crops. End quote. So, uh, establishing corridors, habitats that link protected areas to one another. Have you seen, like, in Sweden and Denmark and stuff, where they build those, like, natural bridges over top of, of interstates? Yes, so, yeah, wildlife yeah. can cross safely. Yeah, kind yeah. of, it's stuff like that. Oh, I love that. I wish we could do that here. Right. But yeah, so I found these neat little weasel cats, and I love them. <laughs> I love them. They're adorable. And I decided everybody needed to know about them. I'm really excited. I really hope that um, Dr. Lors reaches out. Um, Listen, there's an umlaut there because it's German, and I'm not sure if it's... I'm not I'm even going to try it. I'm hoping that the doctor reaches back out to us. Me too. It would be great. Because... But I, I don't speak German. And, like, I'm not going to say that she's responsible for speaking English, so it might not happen. It might not. 
but you know the fact of the matter is is that there's some communication and and now you know what her name is and if you're interested in anything else we've given you a couple sites to check into as well as just inform you about this really neat creature so i love that that was pleasant you're welcome especially after all the sexual assault that i've talked about so. yeah it was it was a lot it was nice that's why you go first <laughs> i hate it <laughs> I'm Thanks. Gonna, I hate it. I'm gonna I'm gonna find something funny to cover one of these days. I really am. Oh. Obviously, murder's not funny, but I'm gonna find something funny to cover, and it's gonna be great. Will it be episode four? Uh, no. <laughs> what the fuck, Crooks? Uh, <laughs> episode four is not funny. Crooks out. Creeps You're- out. <laughs> Crooks and creeps out. <laughs> Bye.